excited about it. I want to begin with prayer. Father, thank you for each person that's here. What a gift, what a grace. And I ask because of your mercy that you'll speak clearly to our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're teaching through Exodus, and one of the main themes that you get in Exodus is that God blesses obedience and God judges disobedience. So what I've done, rather than ask you to turn to Numbers 11 and then switch over here and turn to Exodus 16, I've, I've got it all organized for us, all right? So we're gonna, we're gonna, I want to teach on manna this morning. And it's really fascinating to me. I've loved this, this study personally. And so uh, and I realize that if you concentrate on the screen, you're not concentrating on me. I understand the psychology of PowerPoint. I understand that very well. But I also understand that my, much of my training is in education. And that I want you guys to get this because there's some really amazing things. And, and let's just jump right in. So in Numbers 11.9, we have our first introductory comments about manna. So this is kind of in the beginning, the first mentioning of manna. And Numbers 11.9 says that manna was miraculously transported with dew. That's how it got to the ground. When the dew came down on the camp at night, the manna would come down with it. It's mysterious. There's a variety of theories on how that happened. And we're not going to go into that. The fact is it came down with the dew and landed in the camp where the Israelites were waiting for the next uh, directive from God through Moses. All right, now we're talking about a most likely two to three million people, easily that many people. Exodus 16, this is really, really a fascinating little paragraph to me. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness... There was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another in Hebrew, manhu, manhu. In our modern English vernacular, we might say, what is that? Or as one scholar said, what should we call it? What you call it? So the word manna, in our, our English word manna, literally is manku, which means what is it? So it's a bit of a play on words. When you say manna, you're saying what is it, right? Now you and I know what it is now, but they didn't. It's something they had never seen before. It's an amazing thing. Now something I have seen before that I, I got to tell you, I'm a little out of focus right now, is the fact that this dear lady over here who loves Jesus is wearing a Patrick Mahomes chief shirt. And why would anybody do that? I just, I just don't understand. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I've got to concentrate on the Lord right now. All right, so thank you so, so much, Melissa. I appreciate that. Um, Lord bless the ravens. Okay, here we go. Um, Exodus 16, 19 says, What is it, this manna, manhu, rots and stinks and melts in the sun? So if you leave it, if you don't gather it like you're, you're commanded to do by Moses, uh, flies land on it, they plant eggs, maggots grow, it rots, it has a stinky smell, and when the sun comes out, it kind of melts. This mysterious food from heaven. Um, here's a description, Exodus 16, 31 says, 
the house of Israel named the bread, what is it? And it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. I will not tell you what a modern equivalent to that would be because you probably already know. Numbers 11, 7, 8 says something similar. Now the what is it was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bedellium. Gather it and grind it between two millstones or pound it with mortar. So this is coriander seed on the left and that is the bedellium resin on the right. And so this thing they'd never seen before, these are the ways they tried to describe it, which is amazing to me. And then we have something really fascinating. This is the first teaching in the Bible about faith and daily bread. This is the first teachings. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone gather as much as he will eat. You shall take an omer, which is about two quarts. You shall take an omer apiece, according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much, and some little. When they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered as much as he would eat. I want to read something that Jesus teaches us. And I want you to try to connect, connect these ideas because they are absolutely integrated. In Matthew, Jesus teaches, he's teaching his, his disciples, certainly the 12, but he's teaching the masses, hundreds and thousands who followed him to pray like this. When you pray, say... Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. That teaching is absolutely expanded and developed in this idea that God would give Israel manna day by day, with the exception of the sixth day. And we'll, we'll cover that here in just a minute. So in fact, Jesus goes on to teach that uh, it, it's really a cure for anxiety from the ancient Palestinian perspective. He writes, look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? Are you more important than a bird? Is what Jesus is saying. And if God knows how to feed a bird, and you're more important than a bird, then by implication, God knows how to feed you. So this is what Jesus is teaching. And it's just beautiful. Faith and daily bread. Look at this next section, uh, 22 to 26. Now, on the sixth day... They gathered twice as, twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. 
So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered, and it did not stink, nor was there any maggot in it. Then Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there shall be none. So now we have this new kind of teaching, this, new, this introduction of a new principle, a new truth, and that is there's something called a Sabbath, uh, Shabbat. Uh, there's rest. And it's interesting how this is worded. Um, it is Sabbath, Shabbat is holy to the Lord. Right now, we oftentimes when we hear teaching from the pulpit, or maybe you've you've heard some rabbis teach, the the Sabbath should be Sabbath should be holy to you. But in when this teaching is introduced, it's something holy to the Lord. All right. So a principle forms out of this that when you observe Sabbath from this point of view, it's actually an act of worship. In other words, stop what you're doing and rest. It's how you worship the Lord. We, uh, Lee and Edie, I know uh, we're worshiping right now because we're teaching God's word, which is an act of worship. It's not just the guitars and the keyboard and the band and the songs and Caleb and Chris Tomlin and all the great hits. It's, yes, that's a part of it. But we Christians today can take lesson from Moses that when you rest and you stop trying to prove your amazing ability to be productive, ah, your great work ethic, conquer. When you stop that, you say, God, it's all you, and I want to rest. And you've provided me manna to cover two days so that I can worship you. And that's just beautiful. All right, and now we have this menu of a promised land that's coming. This is really interesting. Joshua 5, while the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. Ooh, they're getting close to the promised land. Then on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land unleavened cakes and roasted grain. And the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer ate manna. No longer did this fine, flake-like, frost-like thing that, that fell with the dew that could be gathered up, what, like cornflakes? Something like that. Its appearance somehow resembled coriander seed, somehow a whiteness in color, and yet the bdellium, this resin-like color. Its taste was like a wafer with honey. It stopped. It stopped. Once they ate some of the produce of the land, God gave the order, and it stopped. The cessation of the provision of manna. Just a couple more. Psalm 78. When you read Psalm 78, you get this commentary. You get a perspective on how the songwriter viewed it. 
And he says, God rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man ate the bread of angels and he sent them food in abundance. Can you imagine that you would eat something that an angel would eat? Now we can say, well, he's just spiritualizing and it's metaphor and simile and all those kinds of workarounds. But the fact is, the psalmist said, man ate the bread of angels. Something heavenly and wonderful and amazing about this thing called manna. Deuteronomy 8. And you shall remember. Deuteronomy, by the way, means to repeat the law. And it's, it's the recasting of the whole story and why the law matters. It's truly an amazing letter to read, a book to read. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you into the wilderness these 40 years. Can you imagine eating manna for 40 years? In order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Hmm, God testing us to see what we're made of. And he humbled you and let you go hungry. Let that soak in. God let you go hungry and fed you with the manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order to make you understand something. That man shall not live on bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Wow. That teaching, based on the history of Israel and how God related to Israel, Jesus thought it brilliant. Jesus thought it the right thing to say when he was confronted with Satan. When he had been fasting for 40 days, there's an intentional parallel. For 40 days without food. And Satan says, hey, if you really are who you think you are, this Messiah figure, you really think you are the son of God. Make these stones become bread. And as you know, Jesus says, man should not live on bread alone. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I want to develop a couple more ideas. Um, um, When when you do counseling, Rachel, when you do counseling, right, and you're doing therapy, a a veteran therapist knows that a client will come to you and give a presenting problem. They'll say, you know, you, you say to them, hey, why in the world do you need to come see a guy like me or a girl like me? Why do you need to see, why do you need counseling? And they'll say, well, man, I'm just, uh, man, I don't know. It's really kind of struggling with some depression. Yeah, yeah, it's depression. Really battling anxiety. And you go, okay, great. Okay, anything else? No, nothing else. Just a little anxiety, a little depression. And you, of course you have to go with that, right? You can't go, no, there's more. There's something you're not telling me, I know. I've done this a while. Of course, that's exactly what you're saying in your head, but you don't let them know that just yet. 
And you go, okay, well, have you ever dealt with depression or anxiety? No, 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 I don't know. Do I need medication? Well, let's talk about it. And you, you, you develop that for a while. And then, and then when the time's right, you go, you know what? I really do think there's something you're not telling me. I think there's, I think there's something spooling in the background. And you say it's depression. And you say it's anxiety. There's something going on back there. Do you, do you want to allow me to know what it is back there? No. Okay. The enemy won't go there just yet. And a patient counselor who's gentle and kind will know to say, hey, you know, a couple of weeks ago I asked you, can I, can I know? Are, is it okay if I ask it again? Are you ready to share that with me? And they go like, I guess. And all of a sudden, they let you back in there and you go like, oh, that happened. Ooh. And then you say, that'd make me depressed too. Yeah, it kind of gives me anxiety just listening to it. Ouch, that's heavy. And then they, normally their shoulders are like up here at that point. And then they go, ooh. And then you say, you're not crazy. And they go, I'm not? No. You're really human. Okay. Can we be human just for a minute? Just for a little bit? We don't like the part that says, God, let us go hungry. I don't like that. I've got grandkids. The last thing you do with grandkids is let them go hungry. You know why? They get loud. (laughs) Like really loud. (laughs) Maybe louder than the Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons concert I went to last night at at Simmons Arena. My, My ears are still ringing, you know, for that concert. Man, kids, you got to feed them, right? And, and what about that? What does Chris Tomlin know anyway? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. And you're feeling it. It's who you are. And you get your cell phones out. And you start doing this. It's who you are, you know. And I go, what? God, let them go hungry? Doesn't sound like a good, good father to me. You're a mean, mean father. Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Well, he gives us the answer. I'm testing you. The whole thing's a test. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, it's a test. We get frustrated and we think it's grounds for deconstruction when God doesn't give us what we want. We don't get our way and it's all your fault. Because you're making my belly empty and that's bad and I have hunger pains and I got to blame something. So I'm blaming you. And deconstruction makes sense because I'm not getting what I want. And God goes, <clears throat> how long have you been feeling that way? Is there anything spooling behind all that in the background? Anything spooling behind your hunger pains? And you go, I don't want to talk about it. And God says, really? You sure there's something back there? Okay. I love being in control of my life. There, I said it. You happy? I want to be in control. And God says, really? How's it working out for you? Happy yet? 
No. My relationships are pathetically short term. I zoom in, they're like, oh my gosh, you're my best friend ever. (laughs) I'm so glad I found you. And then two weeks later, a month later, I hate your guts. I'm blocking you on Facebook. (laughs) And then you rush quickly into the next one. Oh my gosh, you're so much better than my last best friend. You've got these really unstable, really manipulative, really parasitic kind of relationships. Need I go on? There's stuff swollen in the background. And we keep it hidden because we're afraid. God let them go hungry. And when they were ready to learn, God says, I'm going to teach you something. Now that you're listening, and instead of taking your hunger and using it as the basis of complaint, you're going to take your hunger and use it as the basis to learn something? I'm going to teach you. If you want real life, it comes from me. And not from some wafer with a honey-like taste. Man shall not live by bread alone. But man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus is teaching. If you read John 6, and you should read the whole story, because it's like Jesus has this this great big church, and there's thousands that come to his big church. And as he's teaching, you know what the crowd does? It gets smaller, gets smaller, gets smaller, and smaller. And now it's, it's so small. The, the, the disciples, and by the way, they numbered to the hundreds. They're gone, and it's down to the 12. And Jesus says something so fast. He looks at his 12. By the way, his church had thousands just a few hours ago. And it's now down to the 12, and Jesus says this. Y'all going to leave too? He actually says that. You going to leave too? Can you imagine Jesus saying that? By the way, he didn't have a self-esteem crisis at the point. He just said, are y'all going to leave too? And Peter, the dude that can step out of the boat and brilliantly somehow do the right thing at the right moment, even though he blows it on so many occasions, he goes, where are we going to go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. We're not leaving. It's like that moment Peter got it. So this happens right in the middle of that event. So Jesus answered and said to them, you want to know what the work of God is? The work of God is that you believe in him who sent me. So they said to him, what then are you doing as a sign? Come on, show us something so that we may see and believe you. What work, what miracle are you performing? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread, the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. Ah, what's the whole point of manna in the 40 years of provision? It's to teach an entire nation and to teach the new Israel of God. That's us. That the real manna is Jesus. He's the real manna. So you get the script is saying to the church at Pergamum in, in Revelation 2. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who, ha- who overcomes... I will give some of the hidden manna and I'm going to give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except the one who receives it. This is very cryptic, apocalyptic language for Jesus. I'm going to give you Jesus and you overcome through him. He is the one that transforms your life. Manna. All right, Christ Church. The Spirit of God, if you're born again, the Spirit of God is in you. And if the Spirit of God is in you, you're gifted accordingly. Manna. How does this apply to us today in our day-to-day living out the whole idea that we don't live on seven brew alone? We don't live on Taco Bell alone. I'm sorry, that was disgusting. No Taco Bell. We don't live on... Corky's alone. See, Jesus would go there. He would. The gospel bird, that's good. How do we live this out? The whole purpose of manna and what it means for us today. If you're online, please, we welcome a question. Comment. Yeah, Janice. Well, it seems to me that God was making a Spoil. Yeah. That's all. A little bit of a question for you. So, as as she was saying, on the seventh day, it was, you know, it was good for the seventh day, but the rest of the days it arrived. Is that in reference to saying, come to God on the Sabbath? And is this all a big reference in the manner? Yes. The whole point is run to God. And it's just like the Lord's Supper that we'll be taking very soon. Yeah. We rush to it. We run to it. Uh, it all points to Jesus as the bread of life, his blood as the, as the um, uh, life. Uh, the Old Testament teaches that there's life in the blood. Yeah, that's good. Someone else? Anybody else? How we live this out? His word doesn't rot, but the 
way we respond to it, the way we think about it, we, we tend to trivialize it. And, um, I was just sitting here, I was just kind of wondering, you know, does God, God has something to say to us every day through his word. And if we don't eat it today, is, it, is that particular word gone until sometime later yeah. when he, you know, he's not going to go, okay, you didn't, you didn't get in my word on Monday for what I wanted to say to you. So, okay, let's just do it tomorrow. Let's do it. I, I think he's got something to say to us very specifically every day. Yes. For our life, and when we don't partake of that, you want to miss it. We'll miss it. Yeah, that's so good eating. Anybody see the advertisements for like, um, is it like for the number four for Patriot packs, the prepper packs? Have you ever seen those? Like for ninety nine bucks, maybe seen them, Jovi. You get like a big case, and there's like a hundred meals in there with a shelf life of thirty years. It's like these prepper prepper packs. You've seen it. Yeah, um, we, we Westerners absolutely have a prepper mindset, right? Um, uh, in my dream kitchen, <laughs> in my dream kitchen, I have a pantry. I don't know, I'm ballparking it, maybe 1,500, 2,000 square foot pantry. You know, just ballparking, nothing extravagant. And you've got, you know, I've got all my prepper packs, right? And emergency waters and medical supplies and safety things and all this stuff and, 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 and just extra peanut butter and all the stuff that stores, you hope it stores, and just in case. Because if I have all these things, Edie, it gives me the illusion that I'm in control. Which flies completely in the opposite direction of the idea that, you know what? I really kind of want you to be like a flower. Just put your roots in the soil. I'll give you some sunshine. I'll water you. Bloom where you're planted. Or I really kind of want you to be like a bird. Just, just fly around, do your bird thing, and oh, look, there's a seed. Look, I feed birds. I clothe flowers. I will give you today what you need today. Let's move past the prepper mindset and embrace the faith mindset that we're going to be responsible to be obedient today. We're going to be responsible to be obedient today, right here, right now, and not get upset at God because we don't have provisions for the next two years. Someone else? Last one. Yes, Emma. Wow, Emma, you're, you're, you're speaking with a lot of wisdom, and I, and I mean that. Um, in the discipline of psychiatry, the medical approach to psychology and human behavior, there's an idea called to instinctualize, to instinctualize, which means we all have biological instincts, Right? When your stomach's empty, what do you want to do with it? Put food in it. When all of a sudden your stomach's full, what do you want to do? We want to empty that thing, right? And we're constantly in an instinctual cycle of surviving. The instinct of sleep. 
the instinct of food, the instinct of water, the instinct of procreation, the instinct of, of uh, when I'm really, really cold, I want warmth. When I'm really, really hot, I want cool. All these things are instinctual and, and genetically driven. And what happens when we get in big, big trouble is that when we have a need, we feel lonely, we struggle, uh, we're not getting the love that we think we need or the appreciation and all these kinds of, there's deficits. Aren't, there's a need that's not being met and there's emotional, relational deficits. We gotta compensate, and this is in psychiatry and psychology, we will exploit one of those instincts. So all of a sudden, you're, you know, little red wine, no big deal, right? Little, little red wine, no big deal. All of a sudden, we've polished off the bottle. <laughs> and we're drunk, and we're on the couch, and we're passed out asleep. Because we've exploited an instinct, and we've filled it with a substitute, and we develop alcoholic tendencies, or become full-blown alcoholics. Or some, some uh, take the instincts of, of procreation and human sexuality and exploit that. And the next thing you know, you're engaging in perversion like it's a drug. By the way, it is. The dopamine drops with sexual perversion rank on MRIs in the same zones as what happens to the brain on cocaine. Okay? And Satan knows how to exploit those things. And Satan knows how to take an instinct and leverage it against us so that we engage in the unthinkable because we're substituting something for God. Emma, that was brilliant. Chris, also, if you, if you read further on in, in Deuteronomy 8, where he says you're not supposed to live by bread alone, but then he goes in and he talks about your clothes not wearing out and all that. Yeah, and then she's... he says, I'm going to give you this land. Look at all that land has. Basically, it's just a great place. It's going to be full of everything. And then he says, uh, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what prosperity does. Yeah. Yeah. Lee, there's a scene when, the, when they spy out the land where men, you know, and I'm assuming 40 years in the wilderness, you've got it tough. So these two muscly Israeli dudes have a pole shoulder to shoulder. And you know what they're carrying on the pole? A cluster of grapes so heavy it takes two men to carry. Can you imagine a land that abundant? Joe? You know, looking at this broadly with both the Old and the New Testament passages in mind, the theme is trust in God. Yes. But there's two levels of it. Trusting today, which is tricky, but doable, I think, for most people. And trusting tomorrow. Or trusting with tomorrow. We didn't nail it right down when we touched on it. Some of the Israelites that gathered up too much manna, that's when it rotted. He said, if you gather this much each day, if you gather too much, it's going to rot and stick. Now, why would they gather too much? Probably because, well, it may not come tomorrow. I'm going to make sure I've got something. Control. Control. <laughs> hedging your bets. Same in the New Testament. Give us this bread. They're thinking, hey, man, we'll never be hungry again. This would be great. Jesus is talking about something higher. It's a tough question to ask of a modern person. Uh, can you trust God today? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Okay, what about tomorrow? Can you trust him with tomorrow? Because we've got retirement accounts. We've got jobs. We've got insurance. Jobs. We're trying to get to retire. Yeah, insurance, all these things that 
hedge us against what might happen tomorrow. But our increasing articles of control that we feel we have over what happens tomorrow, which deduct from our ability to trust God. Now, you just go full-blown, I'm, I'm just going to roll and see what happens? I don't know. That's a, it's a tough balance to strike. You have to be responsible. The Israelites had to go out and gather the men. They had to physically go gather the men. Yeah, yeah. But where's the line? And how do I avoid it? That's the tough question. Yeah, it's very, very hard. So, Lee, let's develop this final thought, and we're, we're going to pray. It's fascinating that in Joshua 5, when Israel got to the edge of the land, listen, the land that was promised them, do you understand that? The land that was promised to them. And they tasted some of the produce. What happened to the men? And we stopped. It's like God is saying, Joe, I've got something better for you. I've got something better. You ready for this? In Revelation, we're going to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's going to be bread. And I bet there's some manna, right? And, and wine. We're going to be at a wedding celebration. Of course there's wine. And we're going to raise our wine glass and say, Emmanuel, God is with us. We're here. This is it. Can you imagine the menu at at the banquet of heaven? There's something greater to come. And it's going to make the best food Little Rock can offer look like, by comparison. What's going to be served in heaven is going to be of such glory, flavors, and tastes that our mind can't even imagine. It's going to be so amazing. And the manna simply is, it's a signpost. It's directing toward the heavenly, the land promised to us, your kingdom come, your will be done. Heaven, Peter, 1 Peter 1, Ephesians 1, there's many, many texts. That this is something reserved in heaven for you, an inheritance that cannot be taken away. You will have a seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the food there is going to be amazing. So I want to read from Paul's writings. What does the Lord say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The word of faith, which we are preaching That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Joe, in the same way that Israel has to learn to trust the Lord with the daily bread, we have got to trust Jesus Christ is being the ultimate manna, the bread of God that comes from heaven. It's not from Moses, it's from God. And that Jesus is the bread of life. If you've never trusted Christ, you've never been born again, you have no idea what this means, then I am, I've got to do my, my duty and tell you that you will not have a seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The land is not promised to you. It is only for those who believe in the Son that God gave us, the true bread. I want to pray over us right now. Father, anyone here that's an unbeliever whose doubts are destroying any relationship they could have with you, I'm asking that they know the new birth. 
Holy Spirit, grab them by the heart and guide them in repentance and belief and faith and give them the great gift of being born again in eternal life. Thank you that you you call us to you. Abba, Father, for those who are born again, they're, they're, they're saved and they've been feeding at the wrong table. Help them to push back. And to not try to eat and find life at a table you'd turn over, but to turn to you. You are the real manna. You are the real food of God. And God, your word, it is the bread of life. Teach us to feed daily on you. Father, for the one here that is so faithful and disciplined to go hard after you and to trust you seeking you with all their heart and literally living like a bird. You just care for them and they have the, the faith for daily bread. They trust you. Thank you for them and the example that they set. We love you. Beg your grace and blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen.